Hello and welcome to the first episode of the yet unnamed Robotech podcast. I'm Charles and this is my co-host. You meant to say Nick. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is 100% going to be the intro. Yep. I'm Nick. <laughs> and we decided, well I decided and then I coerced Nick into rewatching the uh, the classic 80s Saturday morning cartoon show Robotech. Now, uh, I haven't actually seen Robotech before, but I have watched Macross several years ago. I watched it on... Because I'm an old man, I watched it when I hired it from a video store, a VHS store in my youth. I don't know if people out there know what that was, but that's how I've seen, I think, half of it. Yeah, and I remember that you were explaining to me uh, earlier when I was complaining, how come when I watch these episodes it's about one-third recaps that when you were watching it on VHS that was good yeah because I think my video store only had like the middle period of the show so when they'd recap everything that had happened previously it was like good solid information one needed to keep up to date with the show if you hadn't seen the first 10 episodes for example so have you actually seen all of Robotech before I have seen so this show had a very weird rights issue as we will eventually get to I think Long story short being is because I was growing up before the internet became a place where you could acquire any TV show and watch it anytime, I have seen, I think, the first 20, first two-thirds of this show through buying DVDs, and then I have watched a bit more of the anime that it is adapted from, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. So, no? That's good. So, I've only watched the first uh, three episodes for, for this, and... Oh, I'm sorry. No, I, I, and I, I got excited and watched the first ten. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready for this. I, I'm, I'm looking ahead. I, I see everything they are setting up or not setting up, and uh, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. So I just have some vague recollections about um, outer space invaders being defeated by really bad Japanese pop, but apparently that's not relevant. So should we get stuck into the first episode? We will, and the first episode is called Booby Trap, which is a really funny name for an episode, I think. It starts in 1999, and an alien spaceship has crashed into the Earth on an island called Macross Island, which apparently ends a global war, and they create an Earth government with advanced alien technology called Robotech. And in 2009, they've decided they've worked this all out, and they're going to hold a celebration to launch their brand new spaceship. Does that sound correct? I, I think so. I think maybe they launched in 1999, but maybe you're right, it's 2009. I don't know. It definitely takes 10 years. It, it takes a long time, which is an interesting plot point because, you know, the show starts like all these like 30-episode TV shows. You've got to introduce a bunch of characters, and it's obviously something that requires a bit of finesse. And we meet the man in charge of everything, Captain Global. We met the command deck, which is filled with women, which is really interesting from the point of view that this show puts women in senior command positions but then spends well as far as i've seen the rest of the series just disrespecting them utterly yeah i think we'll talk about that more later but uh you're right it it starts it introduces us to about 30 characters and then it's like you're following right and you know who these people are right all we need to know at this point i'm confident is that there's the captain global global is a global or global i don't know only the highest level of research and preparation in this podcast oh totally and then you meet the five women on the command deck, the most important being Claudia, who is the, I don't want to say token African-American character, but that's who she appears to be. 
And then uh, Lisa Hayes, who is the secondary love interest, maybe, question mark? Uh, no, not really. I think she's just, she's the XO. Well, she's the executive officer. And so though, and she is, they describe her as, I have the quote in front of me here, she is more in love with the ship than she is with the human being, which is just, just amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's really, she's a really interesting character in that she's, Never actually that standoffish, at least not in the first two episodes. Everyone constantly shits on her, but if anything, all she does is be professional. All she, all she does is does her job in a women in a male-dominated environment, and therefore she gets completely shit upon. Which makes Wait. you wonder whether or not this show is commenting on that, or it's just doing it because it's dumb. It is, it's really weird. Um, so, you know, we have this deck, and yeah, okay, the captain's a man. But all of the women on, in the bridge of this very expensive high-tech battleship like, they all must be senior naval, I don't know, space, it's a navy, I guess, naval officers. And yet they're also, like, considered, oh, they're just a bunch of girls. <laughs> what do they know, silly girls? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure operating a, like, multi-dimensional space radar is fucking trivial office work, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, after we've met all those people, we met our main protagonist, and that's Rick Hunter, which is great because he flies into the into the, the show literally in this dumb little plane, which looks like a... Have you seen those things that you go and see gators in Florida? Yeah, you're right. It does look like an airboat. Looks, yeah, it's an airboat. It looks like a flying airboat, which a flying airboat would just be a plane, I presume. Yeah, I guess. But, like, yeah, it's, it's sort of like the, the Hawk, the British training jet, except it has an airboat on the back of it for some reason. And a, and a rocket. Yeah, of course. And so we mean, uh, uh, you know, we, what we learned straight away is that he is presumably young. We're going to say that he's maybe 16 years old because of the way he's drawn in reference to the other more adult characters. I think so. But the show, I don't think the show offers anything to this. But as we'll get to, he's got to be around that, at that age because it would be very, very weird otherwise. Yeah, for, for, the, for the benefit of the show, we'll just assume that he's 16. And, uh, you know, he flies into the area and we meet our second other main character, which is Roy Fokker. And he is talking to the crowd and all his pilots are doing a, a flyby. And using the power of Robotech, they fly extremely close to one another. And he's talking to this crowd on the PA and Rick flies in and starts talking to him and embarrasses him in front of all these people. And somehow, because he's using a PA, he manages to talk to Rick. Did you know? Yeah, that was... And then he was like, oh, can you please change this to... The mode where I'm just talking on the radio as if PA systems are also... I don't know. I'm 90% sure that's not how PAs work, but okay, and that's pretty great. Then- so just before we move on, uh, Fokker is kind of a hilarious only in Japan with this be okay kind of character. So he's got blonde hair. It's implied, he, They talk about how he's a veteran who killed a bunch of people and his surname is Fokker. So... Pretty kind of, hmm, I think this guy might be a Luftwaffe pilot in a Rongo alternative universe. You know what was cool? World War One and World War One fighter pilots. Let's name him after a German. Yeah. Wait, Let's are go we the World racist? War I. Is this like double racist? Are we the racist for thinking it's World War One? I? I mean, he's, he's blonde, he's got a German surname and he wears a grey uniform and breaks about killing people. And also, there's a flashback at some point where he's flying a World War One plane. Yeah, that's, that's true. So maybe it's World War One, and therefore it's fine. Um, what happens is to, to establish the fact that Rick is a great pilot, he, uh, he flies into the middle of this display and activates his jets. And there's like a wonderful swell of, um, of action music. 
But if you look closely, it appears that he just bombs a crowd with bits of his plane. Yeah, the, the whole smoke canisters deploying does look vaguely concerning. It's like, it, where, these, where do all these little canisters go? Do they drop on top of all the people? I, I think so. And so they, they land after this, you know, comedic introduction is done and they, they talk about how they know each other. And I'm, I assume that Rick calls Roy Big Brother. I'm going to assume that's like a, uh, like a, a title, an honorary title. Like a, he's like a mentor kind of character. Yeah, I think they say something else that sort of heavily implies they're not actually related because I was confused by that too and thought it was some sort of weird retconning that wasn't done in Macross. Yeah, at one point Rick says, uh, you promised my dad that you would come back to the air school or whatever it is that they do, aerobatic school, which implies that, that he is not actually a related brother. Also the fact that, you know, they don't look anything alike. That, that too. And uh, then we, we meet our first real awkward moment of this show where they're talking and they're having a cola and we're introduced to Min Mei, who is the, literally the idol in this show. And she is, as you'll see, 15 years old at this point and the show takes great pains to somewhat objectify her. Well, okay, so the first scene, she's arguing with a small child. The second scene we see her in is a close-up shot of her ass in her address. So we're, sh- we're off to just a flying start with uh, 80s anime here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, laws represent community standards and community standards are different in different countries, but this feels very weird in 2018 in Australia. Especially with very obviously, like, late 30s Fokker ogling her and then the main <laughs> character just being like, oh, what a dude. <laughs> what a dude. What a, what, what a player. What Still a ladies, ladies man. It's like... And then what's awesome, great, is finally the bad guys turn up because this, we need antagonists and this is an animated TV show. And it takes them 10 years to find what they're looking for, which is just an amazing success rate. It, it, like the, I, I wish I, my job, I have one sole purpose and it takes me 10 years to do it. That'd be, that's my job. I did notice too, there was a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of numbers and techno babble. Like they've got numbers coming out the wazoo in the air show. And then instead of saying, hey, uh, Deep Space Radar thing has found alien spaceships, they instead go, oh, that's a, an anomaly in a gravitational field. Oh, that's right. They do too. They do. It's like, it's like they're throwing every term they can to make it not be, we found bad dudes on our radar. And then they cut to the bad dudes. Yeah, and they cut to the bad dudes. Who? We're going to get this out of the way. I really like the bad dudes in this show. I know that in theory they are one-dimensional evil bad dudes who's only... You know, the only reason they exist is to be the antagonists in a child's TV show. But I think they're actually, they seem weirdly reasonable. Yeah, I like that while they're, you know, the bad dudes and they're bad because they're bad, they're at least not dumb. Yeah, they, they, they don't, they don't, they're not hilariously stupid or anything. And when we say that they're bad dudes that are bad, that do bad things, I think the voiceover says that they're a race of warriors bred for thousands of years to be evil or something like that. So they are literally just bad guys. That is their job description when they applied for this job on seek.com, it was just bad guys wanted. Yeah. No experience and, necessary on the job training. And one thing I think is kind of cute that they do here, and this sort of spoils it because it comes out, of, we're going out of order here, but at this point in the show, they make no reference to the fact that they are in fact giant. Yes, that's an excellent point. That's revealed what that I think next episode. That suddenly comes up later, horrifying, yeah, in, in episode two, horrifying the protagonist on the spot and you as the audience because you're like, oh shit, then, then show us that. And we can have... I don't think the scaling works at all in this, and we'll get to that when it happens oh, in the next yeah, episode. The, yeah, the, the scaling's all over the place, but it's, it's a cool trick anyway that they sort of bury the lead on the giant alien 
bad guys. Exactly. And it's like, you know, you want them to be alien and different, but you also want them to be recognizable as humans. So I think that does work. Also, maybe that's a commentary about the arbitrary nature of racism and xenophobia, that people are fundamentally the same, but they're slightly different. That's that's deep. That seems like the kind of ham-fisted <laughs> point that this show loves to make, man. So back on Earth, Rick and Roy are checking out one of those uh, fancy fighter planes, which we should also talk about that they are clearly F-14s that turn into robots, which is oh, a, yeah. a amazing, like, aesthetically, I don't want to sound like a complete nerd, but I think aesthetically they look really cool. I was actually thinking about this. I have a note here that just read, 80s, check these sweet swing wings. <laughs> but what I think is interesting is I don't think that this was like 80s propaganda so much as everyone just thought that the plane looked really cool at the time and now it looks kind of old-fashioned because, you know, fighter planes don't look like that anymore. Do you think that a, a Veritech fighter can cross the international dateline without shutting down? Uh, no. <laughs> Back in the days when planes could fly. Um, so what happens is they're, they're, they're checking out the fighter and then the spaceship that they haven't, it's not clear if they haven't been able to get it to work. I think they know how to work the giant spaceship, the one that crashed into the island at the start. It starts powering up and then just fires at the alien spaceships in space. And I believe it vaporizes half the city. Uh, it doesn't, va- yeah, it does. It doesn't damage to the city and no one comments on the immediate and obvious loss of life that this would have caused. Which, um... I, I will be silent because this is actually something that comes up later on and is really interesting, I think. But so Roy has to run off and discover what's going on because the giant spaceship, you know, the SDF, it's the SDF-1, I believe. Yeah, which is weird because it's the SDF Macross. But of yeah. course, it's not the SDF Macross, but they still called it the SDF. Yeah, and then the island is called Macross or something, I think. So they try and yeah. get the name in there, but it's not. Anyway, so Roy has to run off and find out what's going on, leaving Rick in the fighter, which is amazing. Um, then we have my favourite scene of the episode where, you know, the captain, in a not-at-all creepy manner, starts cracking up and laughs that this is a booby trap. It is the oldest technique known to mankind. This was a trap to attack the enemy bad people. Okay, so on, on the captain, yep. what is the accent? What is he supposed to be? I, I think it's an American guy trying to be Russian. But the character is drawn, like, with, like, he looks kind of Persian? Yeah, it... it, it, it I mean, it could be... If this is from done during the Cold War, if this is during the Cold War, which it is, then maybe it's like, yeah, he is from somewhere like that. Yeah, maybe. We'll just pretend that we know about geography and countries and stuff, which we clearly don't. Well, look, clearly neither did that voice actor. Like that accent, it's it's a it's a stretch. And it's it reminds me of the battle cruiser in StarCraft. Am I the only one that? Oh yeah, the battle cruiser in StarCraft that has the Russian um, Russian captain. Yeah, maybe but that's, that's a much a, better Russian accent. Yeah, that is actual Russian. Oh, that, those two seem linked in my mind because I think when StarCraft 1 came out, I was watching this show. I don't know if that's actual deliberate or anything like that. No, oh, who knows? Blizzard, there are a bunch of nerds. Maybe they also enjoyed Robotech. <laughs> maybe. Have so I then, checked any of the dates on this? There's no research being done. <laughs> Pure speculation. Uh, so then my favourite scene is the captain gets out his pipe and tries to start smoking and one of the girls, the preacher girls at him and says, this is a no smoking area. And he says, I was not lighting it, I was just putting it in my mouth. Which is, it's amazing. It's, it's, it, there's no reason for that scene to exist. It's great, I love it. It's, it's Exactly. So then space combat happens. I'm going to assume that this is a big fight and at this point I had written too many notes. Um, <laughs> and then we cut to Rick, who is still in the fighter where we left him previous to this, and he is sleeping, which is funny. (laughs) 
I describe all things that are funny, not by laughing, by saying the word funny. Wait, so I, I missed that. So he's actually fallen asleep? Yeah, he's sleeping in the fighter plane and then he gets caught up and is like, what are you doing? Why aren't you flying? You're on the runway. And then he takes this off. This is by the, the XO who is apparently really mean for asking people to do their jobs. <laughs> people in fighter jets should be flying and fighting and that apparently is being bossy and nosy or somehow. I'm not sure. So he takes off and he flies into space or into the atmosphere uh, you get some nice animation here. The animation is very inconsistent throughout this. I know that animating combat and things is complicated, but it's interesting when some things look really great and some things don't. I think uh, particularly in the, the following episodes, they clearly are spending a lot more money on animating the combat and then people standing still, they've like barely drawn their faces in and they're all like lopsided and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's If you've watched uh, shows like I think Neon Genesis, they make a lot of a still image and people talking over the top of it. And then yeah. obviously that saves money. It just saves money. You don't have to animate things. And that show is really great and managed to make it very artful. I don't know if they know about that yet because they don't seem to do that at all. They just try and animate everything, which as you say, means that some things look really bad because they're kind of half assed. Yeah. The, the direction is okay. And as a result, the animators are like, ah, it moves. <laughs> and as we say half hours, we, I understand that this was done in the 80s and it was just a bunch of people with sore wrists drawing things frantically. So, well, I mean... Yeah, but remember, this is like 80s anime. It doesn't get any better. Like, earlier, early in this episode, they've got, like, the hand-drawn spaceships going on. Like, this is when, like, Gunbuster and those animes that are, like, just fantastic to look at are out. So it can't be done properly. They're just making a kid show. And that is actually, like, a- another good point is that, you know, it's not going to get any better than this because this is the height of, you know toys and and animation and it's presumably as cheap as it's going to be to make these things to draw it by hand and have it really look cool and good as opposed to just ah cgi is close enough exactly so he takes off in his plane and he calls roy he's like what's going on here and you know there's a little you know cute little bit of banter and then he gets himself stuck into it into a tailspin and starts hurtling towards the ground and the only way he can get out of it is Lisa, who, again, as you pointed out, all she has done is be professional and do her job, yet she'll be called bad names soon. She tells him how to turn into a robot, and then he crashes into a building. So if, if it, he would not be alive if it were not for her doing her job. And well, going above and beyond her job in telling her <laughs> pilots how to do the very basics of operating their equipment. <laughs> exactly. And that is the, that's the end of the first episode. This really, it's a really, really tough episode because... If you're making it for children, you've got to make it exciting. So you've got to have things blowing up. But you've also got to tell a story and introduce all these characters. So I think it does a pretty good job for a pilot. Or, you know, sort of a pilot. I've been watching as well a show called Legend of Galactic Heroes, where in 10 episodes, I think there's been maybe one battle and they've been talking about it for nine of those episodes. And this is just, this is like full speed ahead. This is light speed. Yeah, yeah. Not to get too far off track topic but uh yeah legend of galactic heroes is like you know they have a conversation have a cup of tea end of episode is uh, a <laughs> little bit a little bit different a little bit a little bit change of pace so now we go straight into and i you'd hope that these were shown back to back because these are two sides of the same coin the second episode called countdown and the first thing that happens in this is what well, my notes say oh my god robots do you think they have a mug a mug that has robotech technology and if so what does the robotech mug turn into <laughs> Because this seems to be that they talk about Robotech being a big thing. This apparently appears to be turning into a robot is the big thing. Yeah. But then they also call it Veritech. Oh, I'm, I know, right? I have no idea. 
It's especially because this is a like complete Robotech invention. In Macross, I think they might say Veritech once to be like, yeah, that's what we call the things transforming, but then not everything is Veritech. So something I noticed in a very early scene in this episode is that you see the bridge crew from a different angle and they are all wearing high heels in their space battleship. Yeah, that's interesting too because they're all wearing what's clearly like business attire, like if you're working in a law firm. So this is maybe this is sort of the weird explanation for like, okay, we're going to promote women to senior positions and then belittle them anyway. It's like, is this 80s business Japan? Isn't that a thing they actually did? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating is all I, all I can say, I think. Yeah, because if this was a purely American show, none of the characters we've seen so far would be women except for Minmei. Are there, there's, it took Transformers to get a single female Transformer at one point, and I think that was, like, in the movie. And that was all, that was just, like, a big sausage fest. Transformers was the sausage fest. And I, don't, I think that's fairly contemporary to this show. So it's probably got more female characters in it than a, you know, comparative American show would have. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I'm not sure if it's just considered normal or if they were trying to show that it's the future and it's more progressive with their whole international, like, space crew. Yeah, no, I don't have an answer for that, and that's an interesting point. So the, the next thing that happens is that there's a giant debate on whether or not to take the ship off, and then a pushy government officious type, who we saw in the first episode, comes in and tells them that they have to take off. And that's pretty much the end of that discussion. Meanwhile, yeah. we, we cut back to uh, Min Mei and the annoying kid, who I think is low-key one of my favourite characters. Oh, that voice actor makes me wish I was dead. <laughs> He's so annoying, it's perfect. They're looking at, at Rick's robot, and Rick, Rick like pops out of the back and is like, what's going on? This used to be a plane, but now this is a robot? Well, he look, he's like, hey, what does this look like to you? And they're like, it's a robot. <laughs> he's, he's, even though he was in the plane that turned into a robot, he is convinced that he has had a stroke. <laughs> he, has, he has no idea what's going on And then because this is a, a, an amazing television show A truck driver turns up and was like Hey, move that robot I'm trying to deliver goods over here uh, Min has got a great line here that I think is What are you doing with that robot? When he explains <laughs> that he's a civilian pilot And has no idea what's going on <laughs> And so basically my notes read Rick tries to walk and then falls over face first into a building Big mood yeah, that, that's pretty accurate. He <laughs> nearly kills uh, Min Mei and the annoying child who probably has a name, but I honestly don't care. And it's all brushed aside. Oh, well, they're okay. So the fact that I've completely destroyed the, their home, that's n- no worries. No worries. And then we cut back uh, to the SDF and the SDF tries to take off and it fails. Oh, spectacularly. Yeah, it, it failed. Like the, the, the anti-gravity fantasy technology that it's using to take off separates from the ship and the ship slams back down to the ground. It looks great. And this, um, this brings up another point that I noticed. So they spent 10 years building this ship. Earlier in, in episode one, we saw a whole bunch of other spaceships that they had get blown up by the aliens. Right? Yep. And uh, yet they've decided to crew this 10-year-old ship with a rookie crew. You see in this very episode, I believe, people in space, which means they have a space navy, but are we meant to assume that there's nobody capable of doing this? Yeah, like, I understand, of course, that, you know, it's a new ship and they're not used to using it, but it also seems to be implied that the crew are also all novices, and it's like, hang on, surely you should have got, like, your best and brightest to operate this thing. Yeah, that, that's another, another good point. I, I'm, I'm unsure whether or not we're meant to assume that there's nobody who can do it, or whether it's just, like... Yakety sex clown school, something like that. 
I don't know, but this one of my notes here just basically reads like just this stunning display of confidence from everyone in this episode. Maybe this is a hot take on uh, government bureaucracy. Maybe. So we've got <laughs> him walking his death robot into a building accidentally, followed by the ship trying to take off and then all of its engines ripping themselves out and the ship falling back down. It's, it's not a great showing. It's not. But I, I do like the idea that he's not just the best pilot straight away. Oh, yeah, you've got to have some character development. Like, later on in the episode, when he's shown to be a, a pacifist and therefore it's a terrible trait that he'll need to get rid of later. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, exactly. So we cut back to Rick, and they've managed to pull Rick out of the first building, and he comes and he smashes into another building. And then you know, Roy Fokker comes flying in and, and helps him out and teaches him how, how to work his robot, and he repairs his robot, and uh, things are looking good. We, we, we now can move. But then, of course, because this is a, an action TV show, there's another enemy attack. I can't remember anything about this attack. I just have, oh, no, an enemy attack. Oh, I can remember. So uh, the aliens send out a, a scout force. That's and the scout right. force consists of a whole bunch of egg-shaped things with little legs and some, like, protruding turrets, which I thought were a cool design. And we also see, in a single frame, another weird-looking mech with, like, arms... And I think that gets licensed later to be used in Battletech. That's one yeah. of those ones. Yeah, there's so there's the the Battletech series, which is includes the board game, role playing games, the MechaWarrior games, and most recently on Steam, the Battletech game. Le- licensed the designs of a bunch of robots from the original series of this at the same time as Harmony Gold licensed it to make Robotech. And there's just been litigation hell ever since, which is hysterical because. It's just, it's so dumb, and as a result, it is, as far as I'm aware, almost impossible to buy Robotech legally as of this recording. Yeah, so, I mean, I know that I couldn't get access until maybe the 2000s when they re-released it on DVD in Australia, Mad Men did. So I have some of that, but then I don't think you can buy it again any longer. It's, It's a nightmare, and I believe they are, Harmony Gold, that is, the makers of Robotech, makers in air quotes, I believe it's patent trolling now. They are trying to claim all robot, all robots and all mecha as stuff that they own, and it's, it's a bit ridiculous. So moving on, the, uh, <laughs> the scout mechs start shooting up the city, and the rest of the flying very fighters, I've already forgotten what they're called, Veritech fighters, land, turn into robots, and get in a big gunfight. And then we cut to the, the civilians trying to evacuate, and they're all lined up, ready to get in these shelters. And Minmay says... Oh no, I must go back. I have forgotten my diary. Someone might read. <laughs> now, uh, there's more gunfight happens, and then Rick and Roy uh, are there, and Roy says, do you want to go check in on, in on your girlfriend? Which they don't know that she's gone back to the city. Also, yeah, I think at some point they're about to use her name, which she's never given them to. Yeah, it, another thing too. So it, 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 this doesn't make sense, but they go back looking for her. And they find her, and the aliens attack, and what happens is Rick... So these, these robot planes, if you've ever seen it, the robot planes have three modes. They can be a robot, they can be a plane, or they can be a plane with legs and arms, which makes no sense. It looks less dumb than you think, but still really dumb. It's one of those things, it, it, it looks kind of cool, but if you think about it, it's, it's really weird. So what happens is Rick gets into his robot plane form and picks Minmay up, and they fly into the air while Roy shoots all the, all the bad guys. Then I have in my notes here that there's more awkward sexual banter about an old man and a 15-year-old girl. Uh, yep. 
Yeah, that, that's definitely definitely happening. They're arguing over the clearly a child at girl at this point. Like, hey, I saw her first. Oh, witty banter. And then, which is, I think, is probably the, the my favorite sequence so far is there's a sequence where uh, Rick is flying in the air with Minmay in the in the arm of the robot, and the arm gets shot off, and she starts falling to the ground, and he has to fly his plane down and open the cockpit out and rescue her at the last second. I understand that the idea of a damsel in distress as a storyline is really doesn't reflect the standards of 2018, but it looks really cool. Oh yeah, no this this part's really really well animated, which is uh, almost goes and explains the entire third episode. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, it's really cool. I mean, I, I know on one hand we have to acknowledge this was made 30 years ago or something like that, and it's not representative of what we'd like society to be now, but it's pretty cool when it happens. I don't know. I don't think it's that bad. You know, there's a civilian getting shot at. Yeah, I guess so. It rescues her. It doesn't matter, you know, and then he saves her and then they draw a cool thing and they don't even flash her panties even though she's wearing a dress and they spin the camera around. So for anime, it's pretty good, it's man. It's pretty good. And then, so she's clearly in a state of um, post-traumatic stress and Rick says, you're safe now, don't cry, completely missing the fact that she nearly fell to her death from a high altitude while being shot at from aliens from another planet, which is the start of Rick being a bit of a dick. Yeah, no, it's it's fine. It's fine because uh, now she's in the back seat of a plane, being comp- piloted by an amateur, still being shot at by aliens with parts of it shut off. So yeah. she's fine now. She she's all good. And so like they're on the ground, and then a alien battle pod appears in the way of them as they're flying along, and they smash into it. They turn around and get out, and Rick panics and he fires his gun and fires it until it runs empty, and the battle pad falls o- falls over. But then, out of nowhere, well, not out of nowhere, the back of the robot pops open and a giant man steps out, a giant alien man. Which so I sort of blew this earlier because this is, like, meant to be a stunning moment and I've already brought it up earlier that, yeah, the aliens, it turns out, are really tall. Yeah, and first off, I don't think the scale of the plane and turning into a robot matches the size of the, hu- the alien ro- aliens. I, I don't think the alien particularly fits into, the si- into his mech. Unless he's in, like, a fetal position, I don't think he can fit inside the robot either. Yeah, it's, it's not very comfortable. It's no. Not, it's, it's sort of like an early Cold War Russian tank situation. <laughs> It'd be great if it was, like, a clown car and it's, like, four dudes get out of this <laughs> tiny pod. Yeah, I can see that. But actually, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. So Roy turns up and, and shoots the scary alien in the back, and he's like, well, he was the enemy, I had to shoot him. And Rick is just, he's completely, he's shook, is, is all you can say. And the radar comes in and goes, he's entered a state of deep shock. <laughs> yes. And yeah, it is kind of weirdly dismissive of him like being shocked at violence and combat for the first time in his life. Yeah, it's like, like his, his bud gets annoyed at him. And it's one of those things where they don't say it's bad now, but this is definitely going to be a character trait that they remove as a way of developing his character, which is bad. Yeah, I think yeah, you have to... Not killing people is not a bad you know position to take generally so there was earlier in the first ep- first episode he has a go at fucker for bragging about killing people and i remember in the original they spend a lot more time harping on him being anti-military and they might oh. do it more later but it's definitely a major plot point in the original where this he's just like a dude who's just happens to be put in a military situation yeah now there's a really great piece of uh trumpian xenophobia we cut back to the bridge of the sdf and they, they take off and they're like, how do we know it's going to work? And the captain's like, this is Earth tech, not alien tech. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll work. It was made on Earth. Yeah, that is actually 
a line straight out of Macross too. I remember that one. Oh, really? That's that's funny. So then, then the episode does end. It you know, Roy takes off. They got to fly back to the ship, and Rick is just he's got his his PTSD, and the narrator is like, he's shocked. The end. Yeah. So when they take off with their their conventional rocket thrusters, they total more of the city. And I'm once again reminded that if you ever wake up and you find yourself in an anime. You should immediately invest all of your money in missile manufacturers and construction companies. <laughs> that's where the money is made. That, that's where you're going to make the good bang for your buck. <laughs> and that's the uh, that's the end of the first two episodes. As a whole, like they um they get the ball rolling, and they actually are somewhat entertaining. There, there's a lot of like action and and you know explosions that satisfy my animal monkey brain. <laughs> but also, it's not there's there are characters. They've set up the characters, and um. And they're they're mostly multi-dimensional. They're not just like protagonist who's best at everything or villain who is evil. Yeah, no, it's 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 quite good. It's a good setup. Um, looking back, yeah, honestly, not that much seems to happen in the first two episodes, other than setting the scene and a couple of. Well, we have to have we have to sell toys in both configurations, so we'll have the sky fight and then we'll have the land fight. Yeah, and you know we got to keep the the children interested so that we can't have too much talking. We have to have violence as well. Yeah. Because let's face it, if if you're eight and you're watching this, you don't care about the story. You don't care at all. You just you just want to see the explosions, and then you'll see the next explosion. And as long as you can follow each scene to the next scene, then that's all that matters. Exactly. And as a kid, I absolutely hated everything that Min Mei did. And having which we'll get to when we get to the next episode, I'm I'm falling from Team Rick to Team Min Mei is what I'll say. Yeah. Now we'll definitely discuss this more in future episodes because it hasn't really come up yet. But so far, Minmay is actually less annoying in Robotech than she is in Macross. Oh, okay. Uh, do, do you remember the speci- any specifics of that? Uh, I'll save it for the episode where they are lost in the ship. All right. Well, that's, that's the, the preview tells you what's happening next. Um, and basically what happens is they're going to get stuck inside the middle of the spaceship after being directly told not to do something that they do anyway. Yeah, but that's about right. And we'll be covering that on the next edition of our so far unnamed Robotech Rewatch podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much. 